Okay, so today I want to do part two in the evolving series titled From Pain to Release <clears throat> with a <clears throat> initial um, examination of primal therapy <clears throat> from Arthur Janov, particularly his theoretical basis or the theoretical basis of that therapy being an understanding of how pain, childhood pain and trauma becomes imprinted, becomes the basis of neurosis and defense mechanisms, and then in their system, which I don't recommend the therapeutics of um, facilitating uh, intensive catharsis of particularly anger <clears throat> and um, aggression and uh, screaming. Uh, today I want to take the discussion to the next level a deeper going further on the Wikipedia page on primal therapy and uh, I'll send this link again from that <clears throat> a going further in the page on neurosis Wikipedia particularly Jung's understanding of neurosis and then uh, possibly we'll get into further discussion of therapeutic uses uh, regarding catharsis, which uh, comes from the Greek word uh, catharsis, which means purification or cleansing as the way of releasing pain uh, and moving out of neurotic patterns, which really means patterns of mind that are distorted, which really means first, second, third chakra blockages, particularly second, third, which really means <clears throat> distorted beliefs and assumptions about self, uh, about others, about relationship, uh, the basis of emotional charge uh, triggering, being triggered to emotional charge. When it, whenever there's a strong emotional charge, it's a pretty good sign that there's a chakra blockage, a lower triad chakra blockage in play, and we have some distorted beliefs, certainly a, a deficiency in love wisdom. And so with perfect love wisdom, uh, which is um, not attained by too many folks in this world, but certainly is something to continue striving for or seeking in a balanced way, uh, there won't be emotional charge and a person becomes untriggerable, non-triggerable. <clears throat> Beyond that, we might look at the page on abreaction. And this is, um, we're going to going back into the history of um, psychoanalysis and some pivotal concepts. Uh, early psychoanalysis, Freud and Jung, particularly guys in the early 20th century, they knew a lot, and they had a lot of good theory. Uh, practice is a little different. So, uh, continuing on the page, primal therapy, uh, <clears throat> last time we went through the beginning uh, concepts, where, in the section called concepts, and I'll re review that, very briefly. Uh, Janov, Arthur Janov, states that neurosis is the result of suppressed pain, which is the result of trauma, usually trauma of childhood origin. And so we have a difference between pain and trauma uh, and neurosis. According to Janov, the only way, his view of the only way to reverse neurosis or end it is for the person to recall trauma in a therapeutic setting. And as I said last time, uh, any kind of love wisdom field <clears throat> of of consciousness either alone seeking healing seeking honest self-knowing self-acceptance or interpersonally or through spiritual practices or um, therapy could be called a therapeutic setting Janov contends that the neurotic which means anyone could thereby re-experience their feelings and that's the idea is that a direct re-experiencing is critical. In response to the original traumatic incidents, meaning um, the feelings as the residue of unhealed early painful experience, uh, but can now express emotions at that time were repressed, thereby resolving the trauma. So we've got the, the imprinting of early pain, and this early can be past life pain, as I said before. Uh, childhood pain is pre-incarnational past lives pain as well, obviously. Uh, obviously to me. <laughs> Anybody with a reincarnative perspective understanding reincarnation 
will understand lots of people, nearly everyone, brings pain into their life, just like we see in the Nosalar story, why they were programming these various uh, arrangements in family for partner, marriage partner, or children uh, to resolve their unhelpful patterns, which are, you know, the base based in pain uh, in their mind <clears throat> that needed to get worked out, or for sure needs to get worked out for beings to get harvestable to third de to, to fourth density to get out of here, and also, you know, to find any kind of happiness. So um, what had been repressed is then allowed to be expressed, and that's releasing. Janov believes there's only one source of mental illness beside genetic, which is imprinted pain, and that that's okay, I think, um, giving an understanding that there are several uh, causes of um, pain getting imprinted, and that's what we'll see in the next section called needs. He argues that this unitary, unitary source of neurosis implies there can be only one effective cure re-experiencing. Uh, and I think that's also true, however, um, there are many ways of re-experiencing uh, re you know, imprinted pain or the emotions associated with imprinted pain that, I mean, even dreams, I mean, cathartic dreams, no, sh no doubt, even Ra talked about this, how um, dreaming, uh, psychological type dreaming, can be a, a means by which lower triad blockages are resolved. Um, in, I mean, and there were temples, you know, in the, in the ancient Middle East, dream temples, where people would go to have a dream of the gods, or dream from the gods, or divine message, but they also served a cathartic or um, psychological healing function. So the new material starts with needs. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to run through probably the rest of this page, the rest of the main theoretical theory sections here, and then go to neurosis if we have time. We'll become neurotic if we have time. Janov believes that mu much of the pain of childhood is the result of needs going unmet. So we've got, uh, we're looking here now at the sources of pain that become imprinted, that become neurosis or, or unhelpful patterns. Starts with pain. <clears throat> but what is pain? Well, needs going unmet is painful. But that's not the only one. Drawing from earlier psychologists, he described his take on the basic needs in his books. And he said, quote, Our first needs are solely physical ones for nourishment, safety, and comfort. Later, we have emotional needs for affection, understanding, and respect for our feelings, meaning um, uh, emotional support. Finally, intellectual needs to know and to understand emerge. And so this stratification is important. The same as the lower triad being progressive from root to second to third chakras, <clears throat> physical, emotional, mental, or physical red ray, um, emotional, but particularly focused on uh, basic concepts uh, and uh, core identity, core personal identity. It's not transpersonal yet, but it's um, an emotionally, uh, emotionally, what, colored, influenced, or related sense of self second chakra and third more intellectual and social it's that's the how i understand this stratification and so likewise <clears throat> he understands um this stratification from physical to emotional to intellectual one two three and the healing process often goes three two one and so unmet needs uh and there's a difference between desires and needs obviously and down the line, you know, in all spiritual traditions, certainly Buddhism and Hinduism, uh, there's a deep understanding that much of what we felt we needed, we don't need, because we can provide for ourselves. And they're not, they were mis mislabeled needs when they're really desires or wants. Buddhism, you know, Buddhism doesn't encourage, uh, you know, psychotherapeutic self-examination and uh, talking through or thinking through one's childhood unmet needs. 
but there can be profound healing uh, by um, meditative catharsis and all sorts of very subtle changes or the clearance of the lower triad <clears throat> um, in a in a non-conceptual method by a non-conceptual method, particularly meditation and work with the teacher. So, uh, physical, emotional, intellectual, uh, particularly the deepest levels of wounding are are physical, associated with um, the mind of an infant, you know, which is really pre pre uh, self identity or working in the first chakra conditions of first chakra before the, the infant um, develops a cohesive sense of self. So, and then he gets into that. And he says, need, so here he's trying to define what need means. Need is a total state of the human being. At birth, we, all, we are almost nothing but need. <laughs> and nothing but need. And um, people talk about, a, use a phrase called the pain body, which I don't use, but because it's like adding another head on top of your head, like the using the term ego, which is completely superfluous. But uh, the notion of pain body is something like uh, a field in mind and body of massive unmet needs, particularly uh, associated with early childhood or uh, infancy, uh, when the, the person, the child, infant, uh, doesn't have much sense of self and cannot conceptualize their experience. And this is often what leads to psychosis uh, later in life or, or at some point. Uh, serious, you know, very early trauma. Janov argues that for the helpless newborn, so we're going way back to the beginning first, survival is at stake in nearly every second of existence. And that appears to be the case, but it's actually a little... It, it is and it isn't, it seems to me. Um, some parents, I'm not a parent, but most, some parents have sort of commented on how um, infants or young children are a kind of durable, you know? They're, they're kind of um, hardy in their own way. They're not just this uh, quivering mass of need and helplessness, that, that there is an internal power um, that that is um, of survival and uh, support survival. Obviously, there are needs, and obviously, uh, the, the younger the child, the less they can do for themselves, uh, and therefore, the more severe the imprinted pain by trauma at the younger the age. Uh, but I I wouldn't, you know, this notion that survival is at stake in nearly every second of existence. I think that. Yes, but it's not exactly so because there are inner resources that um, are much more subtle. But sure, <clears throat> the younger the age, the less developed the intellect, the less cohesive the sense of self, the less capable that that being child is of uh, conceptualizing or adjusting to experience associated with needs unmet. He goes on, or I go on, Janov asserts that when needs, I mean, we're talking about core needs here, particularly physical survival, right? Food, water, shelter, touch, um, safety, sleep. Uh, Janov asserts that when needs, core needs go unfulfilled for too long, pain is the result. And so he capitalizes primal pain and then later drop that, but primal pain, and we're talking about levels now, and we'll get into that down uh, as we go down the page. Pain. In primal theory, quote, primal pain, uh, with two capitals, primal pain is deprivation or injury which threatens the developing child. A parent's warning, this is in the quote, a parent's warning is not necessarily a primal pain for the child, but utter, utter humiliation is. An infant left to cry it out in the crib is in pain. It is not hurt as such which defines... It is not hurt as such which defines primal pain, but rather the context of the hurt or its meaning to the impressionable developing consciousness of the child. And that's um, 
very subtle. Um, I think that it's awful to leave an infant crying alone, but some some theorists think that's a good thing. I think that's uh, abuse and neglect. Uh, the you know what what degree of pain rises to the threshold to be considered trauma um, is a bit fluid, but but there are you know clearly any kind of physical violence or sexual violence uh, or verbal auditory violence, meaning being yelled at. Um, is conducive to trauma, obviously. Uh, whatever the cause, um, it's not the pain itself that causes neurosis, but the imprinting of it, which really means the severity of the cause. And the causes here could be basically seen as what's not given and what is given. What's not given that's needed uh, is deprivation. When what's when something is needed that's not given, there's deprivation or neglect, like abandonment. When what's given is harmful, it's called injury, or violation or trauma. And now it's really all traumatic. You know, deprivation can be traumatic, injury can be traumatic. Deprivation may not be severe and not traumatic. Injury, likewise, may not be severe or traumatic. And it's not only um, the objective, but also the subjective condition. The objective meaning uh, what's being, you know, there's injury, there's, there's what's not given that's needed, called on med needs, called depression, uh, dep deprivation or neglect. So, and then there's what's done to the child or to a person uh, that is violation or infringing or harmful that's called injury. So um, not getting what's needed and receiving what's what's hurtful. Um, inadequate receiving uh, and painful receiving. Uh, it's objective and subjective. There are objective and subjective parameters or dynamics as to what degree of the pain from deprivation or injury goes to uh, trauma that goes to imprinting that becomes neurosis that becomes lower triad blockage and distorted patterns and ways of living sense of self and relationship meaning uh, some uh, you know a child that's hungry or any you know we we're just looking at a newborn in this case uh, hunger that is not satisfied uh, may or may not uh, is a deprivation that may or may not become traumatic. Injury as well. You see some children, you know, they, they fall down. You can see, you know, when they're a little older, two or three, the toddler phase. Uh, walking around, they fall down, bang their, their knee or something. Uh, one goes into uncontrolled crying and the other one stands up and um, you know, just keeps going, and that's the origin of the name Buster Keaton, meaning he tells a story. He was a very saintly fellow, in my view, and I, I would imagine a wanderer. Very, uh, he and Stan Laurel, very high souls, Laurel and Hardy Laurel, in my view. Anyway, the story was, and he, his fam, his family was a friend of Houdini. Harry, there's a video on YouTube about this. His friend, his family friend, was Harry Houdini, <laughs> and there was a, day, a time or something when Buster Keaton was up on the stairs or something and fell down the stairs or fell down some big flight, big big distance, and just stood up and was okay. And Houdini or something said, "Well, he's a bust. He's a real buster. He's a real buster, isn't he?" Or something like that. And that's how he got the name. Buster means, I guess, somebody who can get busted with be being physically busted, but he's okay. And he was uh, quite good. On that, he could uh, was quite talented, obviously. So um, that seems to indicate the subjective component uh, or the quality of that soul um, from which a physical injury doesn't become traumatic, while another child um, would have the same physical injury and uh, be traumatized.
um, it depends on the inner too. So it's not that the outer makes the inner, but the response to the outer makes the inner. Meaning mind is not made by you. You make your mind, the world around you doesn't make your mind. It influences your mind. It influences us. The, the catalyst doesn't make healing or trauma. Catalyst is an opportunity for healing, uh, but it may lead to trauma. <clears throat> Likewise, deprivation and injury. Uh, how, you know, so there are objective parameters, what's being deprived and how long is the deprivation, uh, what's the nature of the injury, <clears throat> how severe and intense and the, and the injury could be, you know, being yelled at. Being yelled at once is not the same as being yelled at 20 times and being yelled at once with two words is different than being yelled at once in a 10-minute tirade. So the intensity, strength of the outer catalyst associated with deprivation or injury is a portion, you know, to consider. And the second is subjective, meaning uh, not all, you know, everyone's different. And some people can handle deprivation better than others. Some people can handle injury or violation better than others. There are, there are people who, you know, uh, go into psychosis, women who, who go to psychosis after rape, and women who don't. There are people who come out of war um, schizophrenic, and people who, um, who come out of war um, morally and spiritually strengthened. Uh, be work, you know, being in the same trench, this kind of thing. <clears throat> so it really depends. Um, not only on the outer, but also the inner. So, and, and this, this point that he makes, the context of the hurt, or its meaning to the impressionable developing consciousness of the child is critical. And that is another component of the subjective portion uh, of pain that may or may not go to trauma or imprinting or neurosis, <clears throat> is um, how it's understood. <clears throat> so the child that falls down in the playground um with a moderate injury um where they have you know where the mother is nearby and has established a very stable secure safe loving relationship the child feels really safe and loved and valued and cherished <clears throat> um that injury that that child has a greater inner resource uh, to handle the injury uh, and the context of that injury, likewise a context of a deprivation, is different than had they not had a loving relationship with the mother. So <clears throat> uh, that's, that's you know, the case we see in relationships too. You know, I might be able to take a lot or I might be able to take some... <clears throat> um, uh, troublemaking <laughs> by a friend or a partner um, because I know her soul and I like her heart. And another person or partner uh, does similar troublemaking and, uh, you know, I wave my hand and it's over. <laughs> Meaning I can't stand this. I gotta leave. <clears throat> because the context uh, of the uh, of the pain is different. So so any kind of pain, be it deprivation or injury, occurs within a... Con is of a specific, unique <clears throat> uh, quality, quantity, severity, intensity, duration. And last time I talked about, uh, you know, pain being analyzed as um, duration, severity, duration, and frequency. Uh, how it, How intense is it how uh, long does it last and how often is it happening? Happening a lot of significant duration <clears throat> and being relatively intense or severe uh, will imprint. Uh, meanwhile, that also occurs uh, within a context, within a relational context, and um, within <clears throat> the, a subjective context. So you can say there are two 
contexts. There's the relational context for a child, the context of its relationship with the mother, particularly. Uh, and we can look at what we can stand and not stand in relationship or with family members, also in association to the context of the relationship. Or we can take, you know, certain pain we can take in a healthy relationship <laughs> more than we could take uh, in a dysfunctional relationship. Likewise, um, there is the intensity, there's the frequency, there's the duration. Likewise, there's the inner context of uh, who you are that's experiencing the pain of deprivation or injury. So what it means is is um, the determinant or is is closer to the imprinting meaning imprinting occurs when the subjective context um, you know allows it uh, meaning uh, <clears throat> it really it really gets in we can say it gets to very core levels of identity and the challenge of course for early childhood trauma um, is that there's no there's no fixed identity at that point. There's not much sense of self in the first few years, and so it's me as the only the identity is physical. The sense of identity is is somatic at that point only is merely somatic. Meanwhile, there are past lives, and that's a soul coming in that's maybe more or less mature, right? And so some souls coming in are high souls, old souls, wanderers, and some souls, many souls, are 3D native souls. And so <clears throat> that's the metaphysical subjective context, <laughs> different than the psychological subjective context. And um, it, that, uh, or background, that forms the context. So it all gets very, very complicated, right? There's a metaphysical background, unique to each soul, some more mature than others, some more self-reliant than others, and therefore more capable in handling pain than others. Pain of deprivation, pain of injury. And other souls come in with a lot of wounding and um, one little thing, and they're, um, they're in trauma, and it goes to trauma. So it's really quite unique for each person. He goes on, Janov describes pain as the pain that does not hurt because... Pain as the pain that doesn't hurt because as soon as the person goes into it, it becomes simply feeling. <clears throat> um, so this is the difference between pain and primal pain. He's trying to get a sense of, he's trying to define pain that gets imprinted and pain that doesn't get imprinted. But he says, um, as, sort of, as soon as the person goes into uh, <laughs> this kind of pain that doesn't hurt or pain that doesn't get imprinted, it becomes simply feeling. There is not suppression, and that's another matter. And he says most of the suffering is in the blockage or repression, not the pain itself. <clears throat> and that blockage or repression uh, is associated with the significance uh, appended to the pain. And so it's not, again, the pain of injury and deprivation that causes trauma. It's um, what the what the person does with it, and as a young child, obviously they're not consciously doing. It's not conscious doing. Um, it's unconscious, um, based in again the, the interpersonal context or associated with. It's not based in really, but it's related to the interpersonal context uh, of the quality of relationship they have with with mother, particularly and <clears throat> the nature of the pain you know its intensity duration frequency and um, the sense of self or the um, emotional and spiritual maturity of that soul uh, and therefore the interplay between uh, the catalyst of some degree of, of some particular type of pain uh, of a certain quality, very specific quality, uh, uh, that catalyst working on that being in that case um, 
when it doesn't stick and become imprinted or go to neurosis, uh, I think this is the reference to become simply feeling. <clears throat> uh, and that's, um, you know, we just talked about, I just talked about this yesterday, looking at the eight worldly winds in Buddhism and how Gautama directly uh, spoke to these eight, which are basically pleasure, pain, gain and loss, uh, praise and blame, uh, or honor, dishonor. There are other ways of reading them, but they're pretty much physical, good, bad, pleasure, pain, material, social, good, bad, which means gain and loss, uh, interpersonal, good, bad, which means praise and blame, and collective or social, uh, good, bad, which means uh, honor, dishonor. And that the well-trained, uh, the well-trained uh, bhikkhu, or student of Buddha Dharma, doesn't rebel, doesn't welcome, meaning doesn't grasp and cling and crave the good, doesn't hate and reject, and um, use defense mechanisms to avoid or pretend uh, away the bad, meaning the pain they're feeling. And so, it's not praise, you know, it's not blame and dishonor that hurts. It's how we interpret it. And it'll hurt some people to the point of mental breakdown or suicide. And it'll hurt or be imprinted not at all to another person uh, who realizes this is the best thing that ever happened. Now they're free of certain uh, pattern of attachment that was associated with uh, what they were seeking that led to the blame and uh, censure or something so there it's the um, suffering is not really made by events although yeah sure there's physical pain and deprivation of needs um, which is painful physically uh, but significantly it's um, what we make of it and how we conceptualize it or don't and there's, uh, <clears throat> in, in fact, I was looking at um, access to insight on dukkha, and most of it we know about the different forms of dukkha or stress, dissatisfaction. Uh, from Samutta Nikaya, Gautama said directly, both formerly, formerly, meaning in the past, both formerly and now, it is only dukkha that I describe and the cessation of dukkha. And that's what it's all about. And that's, that's um, you know, the great work is um, spiritual development. Why? To get out of pain. Yeah. And as we develop, we find finer and finer examples or experiences of dukkha. Uh, you know, there's the, there are three forms of dukkha in Buddhism, or there are, many, there are a couple of formulations. There, this is, uh, Gautama said, there, there are these three forms. I'll just send the link, uh, but I want to get back to Janov. Time passes so fast here. Uh, from this Access to Insight page on Dukkha, three kinds of Dukkha, quote, There are these three forms of stressfulness, my friend. The stressfulness of pain. The stressfulness or Dukkha of fabrication, which is the fourth skanda, which is mental fabrications or any compounded process, whether it's thinking or feeling, or, you know, stuff around us, and the stressfulness of change. These are the three forms of dukkha. So, the dukkha of pain to body, which is associated very much with this, these forms of early, early pain that go, may go to trauma, deprivation, and injury. This, and, and hearing, you know, I mean, there's the injury of hearing uh, terrible sound. So it, it, or too much heat or too much cold or, you know, needing diapers changed. There's stressfulness of fabrication, which is the, the pain we cause ourselves, particularly, there, there are other ways of understanding fabrication. Fabrication is fashioning its samskara, sankara, the fourth skanda, the fourth constituent of the sense of self, particularly mental fashioning, mental, what's called volitional compounds or um, mental construction, mental emotional construction, uh, chitta, the, you know, the action of chitta in the mind, um, the monkey mind, what the monkey mind spits, the, the spit of the monkey mind, 
monkey mind spitting. Uh, particularly how we interpret things, meaning when we're just not well, or we, you know, and even being well is a mistake, <laughs> meaning it's a conceptualization. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. <laughs> you see, a lot of people say, how are you doing? I'm great. I'm really great. It's so painful for me to hear them say that. I mean, it's not that painful, but I cringe when I hear people say, I'm great, because it's impermanent. And they don't want to know that it is, generally. And I can say I'm well, but that's just a moment. And I'm not seeking to hold it. And that's the point. <clears throat> not knowing that happiness is of a moment and seeking to hold it and feeling discouraged when it doesn't last um, is dukkha. <laughs> More dukkha. So there's the dukkha of the fabrication of clinging to sukkha, or happiness. And then the stressfulness or dukkha of change, which is, you know, the real, <clears throat> a, a very deep understanding that just imperm impermanence anicca itself is stressful. So, <clears throat> back to Janov, uh, the point is that uh, pain that gets imprinted is not the same is is not the same as pain that doesn't lead to trauma or imprinting it may be the same pain it may be the same person with the same pain but in one situation it gets imprinted in another one it doesn't or at one point it does and another point it doesn't and uh, the ability to feel you know feel as you go <laughs> pay as you play or pay as you go it's important to feel as you go and be sensitive to feeling in the moment so it doesn't get imprinted into pain or, or the pain doesn't get imprinted into trauma or distortion. You know, it's okay to feel pain. It's good to feel pain when pain arises. Not good to make pain, but it's good to allow the feeling of pain so it doesn't get imprinted. And, and that's a big deal, you know. There are not that many people who deliberate, who consciously, uh, explicitly realize the importance of feeling pain when it arises. Nearly no one. I mean, no one likes pain. I don't like it either. I mean, I sleep on a bed of nails, but you know, that's just my habit, you know. But other than that, uh, I don't like pain too. <clears throat> and so, yet, um, for pain not to become imprinted into neurosis, into lower triad blockage, that's what we're talking about. Uh, it has to be, or needs to be allowed to be felt, uh, uh, you know, moment by moment, in the momentary, moment by moment experience. And so his point, most of the suffering is in the blockage or repression, not the pain itself, is brilliant. You know, brilliant, <laughs> Mr. Janov, you're brilliant. And that's very Buddhist. And I don't believe, I don't agree with his therapeutics, but that's a very deeply, you know, it's a very deep insight, I think. It's not pain that causes trauma. It's the significance, uh, it, it's, it's, it, it's the repression or the blockage in the ability to feel and release it in the moment. And that very much inf is, is influenced by the subjective and the interpersonal contexts meaning the quality, in the case of newborn, the quality of a, a, a baby's experience with the mother and how loving and protective and safe the mother, you know, has helped the baby feel. Uh, the subjective context of, of the psychological condition of that being coming into birth from past lives and its own soul maturity. Um, and then as we get older, the significance that's appended to the pain. You know, you, you could be slapped in the face and that's and that's exactly why th uh, great beings are non-triggerable, because they don't distort, they don't have distorted meaning or significance uh, appended to any kind of pain or triggering type event. Uh, you know, when, when Gautama, when Nityananda is walking through the forest and the uh, local Hindu ruffians uh, wrapped up his arm in gasoline-soaked rags and lit at a fire. 
he wasn't angry. He wasn't scared. I mean, you know, <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He simply transferred the pain to the uh, ruffian who lit it, and the guy was screaming in pain, and Nitin understanding there calmly with his arm burning. Um, it's a story, um, but I think it's true. And, um, you know, <laughs> a great being doesn't make suffering. And even pain for fully enlightened being um, is, doesn't happen, you know, it, or it's very minor. Depends on their magical ability. But it, it's, you know, there, anyway, there's much I can say on this, but um, pain need not be imprinted. Pain is not the same as suffering um, because there's also the suffering of pleasure. There's the dukkha of sukha, the dukkha of happiness, which is particularly the fact that it changes and that it's, it's sunya or empty anyway while it's being experienced. But blockage leads to imprinting. And there may be some babies, some souls coming in uh, that can handle deprivation and injury better than others, for sure, depending on past life uh, development. Going on, consciousness and repression. In primal theory, meaning the theory associated with um, Jano's school, consciousness is not simply awareness, okay, but refers to the, a state of the entire organism, including the brain, in which there's, quote, fluid access between parts. And here you're getting all sorts of theorizing. Uh, okay, the, uh, consciousness pertains to all of, all, you know, all levels of experience, all right? It's not just in the brain, in the mind, about the thinking. There's body consciousness, too, obviously. Then they use this triune, meaning three-part brain theory of Paul McLean, adapted it to primal theory, three levels of consciousness recognized in primal theory. So, you know, now we get into the splitting. Um, and there was a table given here summarizing fundamental ideas and Janov used in conventional terms, da, da, da. Uh, they called it, the, the, the three levels, like the first three chakras, um, they called levels or lines um, we have physical, emotional, mental, or somatosensory, affective, and cognitive, going from the bottom up. Uh, somatosensory is basically the first two skandhas in Buddhism, which is body and sensations, sensation, visceral responses. The second and third actually is um, fabrications, emotional responses, and third, cognitive intellectual faculties, meaning... Um, feeling, you know, uh, emotion and thought, basically. Thought form and what we call emotion. Emotion, to me, is basically a uh, sensory thought form or a thought form with sensory um, or body feeling component. Pure thought, like we're talking now, um, is disembodied. <laughs> and too much of it, and you might get uh, dis dissociated from your body or you know, it's the, the absent-minded professor, right, who forgets to comb his hair. Oh, well, I have hair. I've got to comb my hair. So uh, too much uh, bodiless thought, <laughs> purely intellectual theorizing, um, leads generally to some kind of neglect of the body. Emotion, I'd say, again, is um, thought with a somatic or a, a body sensory component. Three portions of the brain, okay, so neocortex, limbic, brainstem, fine. Thinking mind, feeling mind, survival mind. This is a silly putting a head on top of your head, a Buddhist would say, or me as a Buddhist would say. <clears throat> Meaning, oh my God, I have three minds. <laughs> no, <laughs> you have, you have, <laughs> well, we're using consciousness and we're aware of uh, qualities that seem to be stratified um, associated with physical, emotional, mental. And the physical is very much about physical survival. The emotional feeling mind or emotional second, particularly second chakra, water element, right, uh, is actually associated with emotional survival 
um, the survival of good feeling. I always feel good. Who wants to feel bad, right? Not wanting pain at certain level is sort of emotional survival mind or awareness, the consciousness, the level of consciousness or quality of consciousness associated with emotion, feeling, and the desire to keep good feeling, which of course can never be fulfilled unless you're fully enlightened. Uh, so these three levels and then the higher thinking mind, you know, basically non-somatic thought, <clears throat> uh, these three levels or lines are associated with their understanding of healing in just the same way as, you know, I talk about uh, the healing cycle, um, which, you know, begins with um, acceptance and understanding. Ra talked about this from Ra. It's an adaptation, you know, derived from the raw material. Healing cycle beginning with acceptance and um, a willingness to feel in the body um, the consequences of the distortions in the mind, meaning anger, sorrow, and fear. And these are stratified, meaning generally sorrow, uh, generally anger is frothy and easy to come and go. Uh, sorrow is deeper and longer lasting, and that goes to depression sometimes. Uh, but certainly under a lot of anger, we find sorrow. Lots and lots and lots of lots of times in general, in fact, nearly always when we have an angry reaction, there's underlying sorrow. And then under that, to me, is fear. Meaning, in my understanding, there's fear um, because there's some level of violation um, and raw pain, raw organismic, meaning the whole self-organism, feeling a kind of raw pain associated with the basis of the sorrow long before the anger. And so uh, sorrow th or, or anger three, sorrow two, fear one, or at least, you know, fire, hot water, and cold water. <laughs> Third chakra, fire, anger. Second chakra, upper second chakra blockage, sorrow, warm water, lower second chakra, water, cold water, ice, fear, uh, lower energy state. And so there is a stratification of mental, uh, of these levels of consciousness, and uh, Janov understood this very well, or used this rightly, meaning he adapted it uh, as it ought to be. So he goes on, Janov describes defenses, meaning uh, the means by which we maintain imprinted pain or neurosis or distortion and avoid the pain um, that we're carrying. De describes defenses as agents of repression that consume energy, that's very Freudian, while protecting the system from catastrophic pain of unfulfilled need um, or deep traumatic pain. It, it can be unfulfilled need, it can also be um, original violation or um, injury. So again, there's two types of pain that gets imprinted uh, in this view. And it's, you know, there, I'm sure there are others, but this is pretty comprehensive. The pain of unfulfilled need or deprivation, the, f the pain of injury or violation. So defenses, uh, defense mechanisms keeps people out of pain. Sure, nobody wants pain, so everybody... Uh, runs hither and thither, hither and yon, to avoid pain. When referring to pain or defense, the word line is used instead of level, so first line pain, first level pain, meaning um, at the physical level. Early trauma imprinted in the brain stem, and that, that's where, you, you know, I wouldn't get too tight on that, but certainly early trauma that is um, particularly... Um, anchored in the somatic system in the body in 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 the you know people say it's in the cells i don't know if it's in the cells but it's certainly in the musculature it's in the cells of particular muscles and organs and and body systems for sure you can say it's in the cells but the cells you know my, my cells are kind of fine but i think the stuff gets stuck 
more in in um, organs and tissue, tissue and organ systems, and various um, major functional systems in the body. But that first line or first level pain is more associated with violation and trauma, uh, violation or deprivation at the younger age or coming in physically, very particularly physical. And that's physical injury. Third line or third level, like third chakra, is more the third line. So he says first line pain or first level pain versus a third line defense, intellectual defense. And that's common, right? So you can say there's first, second, third line or level pain, very much associated with the first three chakras, and first, second, and third line or level defenses. There's first line defense. First line, if we say first is body, second is emotional, third is mental, first, second, third chakra, very closely. First line defense is um, like uh, eating, or sex, or sleeping, or drug addiction, although that's not just body, um, as means of avoiding pain, um, imprinted pain or trauma. So there are defense mechanisms pertaining to each of the fir- of these three lines or levels. And then there are pain, or pain can be understood also in terms of these three levels. That's a pretty sophisticated system, actually you know, according to my my view. And so, <clears throat> um, and it works. Uh, it's just their methodology or their therapeutic I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend. He goes on, or they go on, brainstem has often been referred to as reptilian brain, as it's the structure with mammals common with reptiles. Um, you can also say that the Orion, who knows this very well, you see, <laughs> Orion knows the the lower triad and the means of blocking these chakras individually and collectively very well. And so you have something called trauma-based mind control. And that's done to the individual. Today, you have collective trauma-based mind control, which is control of beings by controlling their mind by a generation of trauma, by the you know provision of trauma, carefully given trauma. And humans are, many humans are so dumb they traumatize themselves. Meaning, look at like filmmaking, modern filmmaking. <laughs> look at uh, modern uh, cinematography method, you know, the directoral, you know, how quickly they go from scene to scene. The combination of, um, I mean, there are good people. I've seen good, good people making videos that they have kind of high production value and they have lots of nice pictures and cool images. And they go one to the other, to the other, to the other, to the other. You think that's good for the brain? It's terrible for the brain. It's overload. It's overstimulation. Nobody can appreciate that. What's the point, man? <laughs> I just watched one from an Islamic guy, a good guy. Was, I think this channel's The Believer or something like that. And he's a very high-quality production. But he goes image after image after image after image. You think that's good for you? You think that makes you a great filmmaker? You know, the, we want to sit and look. We don't need to be beaten over the head. And so that is, uh, I would say, an unconscious adaptation of trauma-based mind control methodology. Terrible. And, that, and that's a good person. Lots of films are, are intended to traumatize, actually. And um, music, and uh, aspects of culture, and technology. So... Uh, you know, you can be sure the negatives know these things very well, better than Janov and myself, and uh, know how to traumatize by reinforcing defenses, providing defense mechanisms of avoidance, causing pain at multiple levels, causing the repression or facilitating repression. They can't cause repression, but they can facilitate repression of pain as well. So <laughs> there's a lot of, look, you know, uh, one could do um, a very profound uh, psycho psychosociology, psychosociological analysis um, of levels of wounding and collective uh, traumatic mind control. Finally, 
Um, and I know we're getting, we're almost finished here. And we still have five minutes or so. First line, meaning first chakra related, meaning physical. First line imprints, meaning pain imprinting, occur before intellectual abilities such as use of verbal language have developed. Like I've said, uh, the, the younger the child, the less the conceptual activity of mind, the less cohesive the sense of self, and that's where um, early trauma really does damage, or that's that's the level, the ages, and the early the level of trauma that's very uh, damaging of a whole incarnation. Um, and in many ways, that's what they were aiming towards in in primal scream methodology. It seems is first line is the release of first line pain imprint, primal pain. A primal meaning first, and that's where they go, right? Primal scream means first line screaming, screaming out or seeking to release by catharsis a pain that had been imprinted at the somatic level from the early childhood, and and the anger and pain, anger and all the process associated with that. So, this first line pain imprinting is the level of pure sensation and visceral or gut reaction. Yeah, right. It's the pre-conscious, um, a, you know, the pre-conscious child, or pre-self-conscious at least. It's one of the, the, the animalistic, the animalistic infant, you know, the primal infant who is in some ways like a second density creature. <laughs> because there isn't uh, much developed self-consciousness manifest there's the potential for it but it hasn't really manifest according to that age the brain stem meaning the this deepest level is capable of processing most primitive emotions of rage and terror these can be experienced very early in life that's where they're gunning that's why they call it primal therapy primal scream it's first line it's uh, first line pain imprinting they're seeking release, seeking to release by catharsis, by their therapeutic. And so, primitive emotions of rage and terror. I don't know about rage, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I, I have to look into that because terror is fear. Fear is ice, cold water, lower second chakra, and fits with that time, a time zone, you know, that time period, the time of early infancy. Rage, I don't think so actually and in fact that may be a that that may have been what brought down the whole ship here which was their belief that rage is there while actually terror is first line and rage is third line and that's a very interesting thing that that just got clear to me because i don't think the infant uh, I, the the second density Second density consciousness, infancy, mind, trauma, experience. Uh, yes, tra yes, terror for sure. Um, rage, I'm not sure, and that's interesting. According to Janov, primal pains, right, first line pain, is imprinted in the lower brain first, then later limbic, then still later intellectual defenses are formed by cortex, neocortex, simply because this is the sequence of neurological development. Right, exactly. And that's you know the the evolution of the brain, uh, that that is the evolution you know from uh, dinoflagellate to uh, mammalia. The therapy therefore occurs in reverse sequence, right? So they go to try to get down to one by three. There is no and this is quote. This is some deeper talking. Quote: There's no way to go deep without first going shallow. Very Taoist. In primal therapy, medication is prescribed for some, quote, overloaded patients, but they, so that they don't overshoot into first-line pains they're not yet ready to feel, thereby allowing them to feel the more recent pains first. And, uh, yeah, um, catharsis is um, very helpful, obviously, in releasing pain. But um, some people have so much trauma or first-line uh, pain, imprinted pain, meaning somatic, 
body, you know, somatic imprinted pain. That um, opening the door to catharsis will lead to mental breakdown, or even psychosis, or schizophrenia and onset, even, or incapacity. And so people with too much or too early, too strong um, in this system, I guess they would allow or recommend, recommend medication. And that's true. That, that's always the case. But not every person who has severe trauma needs medication to release this pain. But you can't go deep without first going shallow right. And that's the value of talk therapy. It's working mainly with the um, the self-conscious thinking mind, conscious sense of self, which is significantly of defense mechanisms. <laughs> it's looking into the defense mechanisms. Uh, the person, the, the patient, the client may not know, and hopefully over time in therapy or through their own development will know that some part of their talking uh, beliefs and opinions are the result of, of defense mechanisms uh, avoiding deeper levels of emotional and primal pain but um, one you know there is a um, non-traumatic catharsis <laughs> primal therapy primal scream this kind of therapeutic in practice can be traumatic itself re-traumatizing uh, you know, a, therape a therapeutic method that re-traumatizes. While talk therapy uh, certainly runs the risk of not allowing the person get to the emotional or the primal, uh, meaning their emotional, which is generally going to be sorrow, and the primal, which I don't think is rage, I think it's terror, frankly. Terror, yes. Rage, I don't think so. Because generally you know the the child the infant is too pure to go into rage mr janov didn't get that and maybe that was the cause of his problems and maybe that was the cause of this whole house of cards falling in the end of this whole approach is that primal pain is not rage primal pain is terror and he they they conflated them or they considered they equated them um, and thought that they were both first-level pain. I don't think so. Uh, to me, imprinted pain from severe deprivation and physical trauma um, is terror. comes out as terror, panic, um, uh, devastation, um, uh, annihilation, the, the subjective experience of, of um, identity annihilation. And one has to go through that in deep meditation, too, <laughs> which is another matter, because deep meditation also is um, reversing the common way from one to three, but going uh, clearing three to one. Therapeutic also clearing three to one. Uh, talking, <laughs> talking your way down to feeling and then um, primal pain or terror or fear panic um, or insecurity uh, whatever but it's very preconceptual anyway that's very interesting uh, and yes you have to go shallow before you go deep and I will uh, let's see where we are here uh, I think that's where we're going to end for now right in the middle of pain um, but I think we're not too it's not too painful um, next time I want to start with the section origins of neurosis and then we'll jump to the page on neurosis and look at Jung's theory on neurosis and then look some more at catharsis and abreaction uh, when you hear the word abreaction you know you're going back in time in the history of uh, the field of psychology abreaction just as a moment is a German term Abriagirin, abriagirin, psychoanalytical term for relie, reliving an experience to purge it, to purge it of its emotional excesses, type of catharsis. 
sometimes it's a method of becoming conscious of repressed traumatic events. So meaning an event that one wants to recall. Uh, Abreaction is not the same as catharsis. It's a type uh, reliving an experience to purge it of its emotional excesses. Well, the experience is in mind now, (laughs) so it doesn't have emotional excess, but a person may have emotional blockage associated with uh, past experience and so at that point then it becomes very much like catharsis you know relieve you know you're not purging an experience of something you're purging yourself (laughs) purging the deep mind of emotionalism or feeling uh, associated with you know a past traumatic event and that's what primal therapy is all about and that's what healing is all about and so you know, know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator, or know yourself, accept yourself, um, acknowledge responsibility, and move to forgiveness uh, is easier said than done because the doing is associated with a willingness to feel pain. And it's, yes, um, stratified generally in accord with the lower triad going back three to one particularly uh particularly anger to sorrow it's not that every uh every every instance of uh, imprinted pain has a root in terror it's not that everybody every infant was uh, violated physically sexually verbally and and needs deprived severely um, parenting generally mothering was you know imperfect but uh, not always traumatic or not always causing severe imprinted pain so it depends so it's not that everybody has to go back to terror but certainly uh, most people have repressed sorrow or pain the pain of sorrow disappointment hurt loss grief that has not been allowed to be experienced and you know some of the top negatives um have the most pain some of the many of them were traumat traumatized really violated traumatized and that's why they go there they go sociopathic psychopathic that's why because um they're sitting on a mountain of pain and a whole lot of it is of terror and and trauma meaning severe pain imprinted to trauma they're the ones leading society hey hey and the media and politics and uh institutions isn't that something so next time um we will look at origins of neurosis jung's views on neurosis and more about catharsis and abreaction so thank you for being here i hope it wasn't too painful um it's good to get into this stuff you know and just like gatama said both formerly and now, it is only dukkha that I describe and the cessation of dukkha. And um, that's centered on the problem and the way to its resolution, the end of suffering. So, thank you again. Take good care of yourselves. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And good night. <laughs>